from Quite the Thing Media. Hi everybody, my name is Jack Shaw and this is quite an interview from Quite the Thing Media. Just before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to our host Captive. We are currently recording on Squadcast and this meeting was arranged on matchmaker.fm. I asked guests to come on, pick a topic, and then I asked questions that have never been asked before. Basically, today I've got the Spyhards guys who are on Quite the Thing Media. We've got uh, Scott and Cam with us. How are you guys? Go to you first, Scott. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, it's not a particularly sunny day here in London, England, but otherwise, yeah, can't complain. We don't do video, but Cam is sitting in a vest. Is it warm where you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of overcast today, but it's been very warm in Vancouver. We actually recently broke records. Um, I think we hit 40 degrees uh, here in Vancouver, BC, which is, I, I don't think it's happened in 100 years. So it was uh, pretty unbelievable. I've only ever felt that once. I went to Turkey about 20 years ago and it was 42 degrees one day. And even the locals were saying, yeah, this is too hot. People that know me know I am fat and ginger. So I don't particularly take to the heat well. So 40 degrees is just like that. You can kind of keep food warm at that temperature, I think. Yeah, it was unbelievable to try to sleep through because I don't have air conditioning or a fan in my apartment. So it was basically me just like laying there pouring cold water on myself all night and then waking up every three hours hot again. It was, uh, I've never experienced anything like it. So uh, uh, nothing but uh, credit to all of those out there who live in very hot climates. I don't know how you do it. I can't do it. Yeah, Cam and I met in Las Vegas. So we're used to, you know, hot desert temperatures, but we also live in balmy London and Vancouver. So if those places hit 40 degrees, you're basically fucked. Yeah. yeah, you're up shit creek um, mm-hmm. without a fucking paddle, basically. Now, I'm sure m- most people that are listening will know Spy Hards, the podcast, but for people that maybe don't, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, the, the, the general idea of Spy Hards is every week we pick a spy movie. Um, this could be, you know, James Bond, Jason Bourne, you know, the, 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 the fancy stuff, or it could be some unknown stuff like, you know, Condor Man, or I'm sure Cam can name some random ones, Little Drummer Girl. And what we do is we try and figure out if the film is good enough to make what we call the knock list. Uh, Cam's usually better at explaining that. Yeah, the knock list is our very clumsy acronym for need to see official classics of the Spy Hards canon. So basically, we are looking to compile the ultimate list of spy movies, a list you could give to someone who never watched spy movies. And they could watch those movies and be entertained by all of them. You know, they may, some of them are, we take some chances. There's some artier ones or some ones that are a little more serious, but it ultimately it's a very good across the board encapsulation of what the genre can do at its best. So that's the basic idea. Um, we have also in fairly recent days instituted something called the disavowed list. So we also like to very much now underline the worst the genre has to offer, but the knock list is the main feature of the podcast. Right at this minute, as we record, what is at the top of the knock list? Okay, so some movies on the knock list. Um, James Bond, we've got uh, Goldfinger, Goldeneye, and um, I think there's another one. Oh, we've got Dr. No One from Russia with Love are both on there. 
uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film True Lies. Um, for Hitchcock, yeah, Hitchcock, we've got 39 Steps in North by Northwest and Notorious, actually. Um, we have Joe Wright's Hannah um, starring Saoirse Ronan, which is maybe one that's a little more obscure that people wouldn't have heard of. Um, uh, Three Days of the Condor made it on. So it is kind of a mishmash. Oh, uh, Born Supremacy for people that have followed the Born franchise. Uh, so we often have to really ask ourselves the question, you know, does this movie deserve to be on the list? Because there's good movies that don't make the list. Like I said, Born Supremacy made it on, but we had to make arguments for why Born Identity didn't, for example. So that's a part of the conversation at the end of every, uh, at the end of every episode. And um, basically, we instituted the disavowed list because when we were talking about Men in Black International, it was very clear it wasn't going to make the knock list in the first two <laughs> minutes of the episode. So you kind of lose that suspense. So then it's like, okay... But will it make the disavowed list? <laughs> and what is the worst one that you've watched, Scott? Then, is there a off the top of your head? Is it Men in Black, as Cam says? It's it, it's probably between Men in Black International, which is such a nothing burger of a film. It's just it's just bad. Or uh, Disney's One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, uh, which is a nineteen seventy <laughs> yeah, it's a nineteen seventy five spy film kind of loosely connected to the carry-on films in a way uh but it's just bad it's really bad yeah um one of our dinosaurs is missing definitely gets a uh dishonorary award in my mind um men in black 2 i actually dislike more than men in black international um the other ones to note i think that were pretty they may have been the roughest sits in some ways. Um, the Harry Palmer franchise, people may have heard of like the Ipcris file funeral in Berlin. They were Michael Caine spy franchise in the sixties in the nineties. Some like bargain basement outfit got the rights to it and made two Harry Palmer TV movies. And Michael Caine is just slumming his way through these dreary 90 minute TV movies, and we did cover them for the podcast. We don't normally do TV movies, but in this case, when you have the original star franchise continuation, it felt like you kind of had to. And boy, I had to consistently tell myself while watching them, you have to do this. You have to do this. <laughs> Why spy movies? Was that a conscious choice to pick a, a niche? Because let's be honest, that's what you will hear when you're starting a podcast is you need to mm. niche down. Was that a conscious thing, Scott, or you enjoy spy movies? Oh, I hate spy movies. I, I despise this <laughs> podcast. Every week is torture. I can't stand it. Um, no, it, the genesis of Spy Hards is an interesting tale, I suppose. You know, we're kind of born out of lockdown originally, uh, but... We were looking at doing a podcast, Cam and I, and we're both massive James Bond fans. I and mean, we connected at a Star Trek convention, but our connection grew through our love of James Bond. But we realized there's just so many James Bond podcasts out there that do it much better than I think either of us could do it. So we thought, okay, let's expand the scope a little bit and let's let's add all of the rest of the spy movies in and even the wacky ones that we've mentioned already. And it just, I think it kind of grew from there. Yeah, because, you know... James Bond is awesome. Believe me, I could talk about James Bond forever, like all day long. But um, it opened up the door to doing things like Hitchcock films. And I'm really into classic films. So there's stuff we've done from the 1930s and 40s. I think we've got some 20s movies on the list even. We haven't tackled one yet, but there's a couple out there. Um, it's really opened up so many avenues. And 
One thing I think I was maybe a little concerned um, that proved completely pointless to be concerned about was, is it going to feel repetitive? Like if we're doing a spy movie every week, are we going to get to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been through this now 27 times. It's kind of the same deal. But I think one thing that's become very clear is that there's a huge diversity in what a spy movie can be. So like, you know, we're 50 something episodes into recording now. And I I never feel when I sit down to watch one of these spy movies, like, Yep, just going through the motions again. It feels every time like a completely new movie to talk about. It, it helps as well that we kind of move from sort of not not obviously it's all spy movies, but within the genre we move around a lot from week to week. So we'll have James Bond one week, and then we'll have a ultra serious, you know, spy thriller from the six not the sixties, I don't know, maybe the seventies or something. And then the week after that, we'll have Men in Black. Mm. It it just bounces around comedy spy serious like cold war thriller and then like james bond goofiness and that, and that makes helps mix it up i'd say and we've got things we're going to be looking at in the future you know like spy kids or cars 2 or there's like a lot of animated movies despicable me stuff uh so the spy genre is it's really open it, it's even more open you know they talk so much about the superhero genre how superhero movies aren't really superhero movies anymore they'll you know ant-man's a heist movie or you know um captain america winter soldier is more of a conspiracy thriller but i feel like the spy genre is even more open than the superhero genre yeah well that's that. i suppose that's a really clever choice then that not only is it a spy movie it's a heist it's a thriller it's a psychological thriller so yeah lots of scope there to have a good chat about films i suppose while at least having that sort of thing to drill down on that it's a spy a spy movie. Have you got a favourite joke about spies or spy movies or just a favourite joke? We'll go to we'll go to you, Scott, first. I, I have a go-to Bond joke that's uh, in, in poor taste, so I guess this is the right place to do it. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, if, James, if James Bond took Viagra, would that make him Roger Moore? <laughs> it's the terrible oh. thinker it's a bad mm. joke oh man like I've got a thing about puns I love puns I know a lot of people hate them and a lot of people will think that they are the sort of lowest form of comedy but something like will he Roger Moore I loved it man like I thought it was good what about you Cam okay um well um what do you think, if Kermit the Frog was to be a undercover operative, what do you think his title would be? don't know. <laughs> a croak and dagger agent. Fuck off. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. It can't get any worse from here, basically. Um, we've, we've set the tone. We've set the tone. <laughs> 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 and what do you think that people, everybody knows or think they know about spy movies? Like, we'll, we'll go for a top three. What does everybody think when they hear spy movie? Is it James Bond? Because that's where my mind goes. Well, oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> yes, um, I would say people immediately jump to um, James Bond and Mission Impossible. Um, I think those two probably first and foremost. Jason Bourne is also very popular, so that's probably maybe third. But I think they do generally go to that more 
blockbuster genre point of view. I don't know, like Scott's, you know, I don't know if we've come across this as much. A lot of the spy genre is these much um, more serious, you know, John le Carre stories. But I feel like the general per, you know, the general audience member doesn't immediately jump to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or something. No, I think that's like a step beyond. You have to kind of be into the world to maybe want to dive into that. But I, I will also add to your three there, Cam. There's also the spy comedies. Mm, yeah. From the Johnny Englishes to the Austin Powers to back to the Flints and things like that. That Those have always been around. And people do tend to think that usually Austin Powers is the go-to, but Johnny English would get some love as well. Yeah, and also actually in more recent years, the Melissa McCarthy spy movie um, is one I hear a lot of people bring up as well. Yeah, the one that sort of pops to mind for me, I don't even know if it's a spy movie, as uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little. Is that right? Have I even got the title mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. That's one of my favourite films. Um, and the thing with me, I just said that's one of my favourite films and I wasn't sure of the title. I don't uh, do film titles, song titles, artists, directors. I just have a hole in my mind where that stuff just doesn't go. You know, I can very much know that I enjoyed the film, but when it comes to having a conversation about it and people say, do you remember this bit? No, I don't. Sorry. I enjoyed it at the time. Do you think there's something different with your your brains? Are, are you good at, do you remember quotes in films? Do you remember the, the best lines? Is that something that you have on your side? I think Cam more than I uh, in that regard. I'm, I, I tend to struggle when it comes to things like statistics and, and details in that regard, which is why um, one of, sort of the in-jokes of the podcast is I have to watch every film twice. Yeah. Because I just can't get it in my brain sometimes, so I will. <laughs> I will purposely sit through like *Tenet*, for instance, the Christopher Nolan film, which is like two hours and forty-five minutes. I had to watch that twice back to back. That brain fries your film in one viewing, let alone two. <laughs> that brain I, fries your film. That brain does fry the film. Yeah, just gets the pan out. Clearly, frying the film up. Yeah. Fucking hell! Like it was backwards. Like that was backwards. Like the film. I thought that film was without putting too fine a point on it, fucking garbage. Like, dog shit. I hated it every second of it. Like It was messy. It was messy. I think that Christopher Nolan gets an idea in his head and then works backwards from that to get a film. It's just a personal opinion of mine. And I think the idea that he got like for Inception would have been uh, infiltrate a dream. So you start with that core idea and then work backwards. And with Tenant, it was, you can have a fight that goes backwards and forwards at the same time, or whatever. And he thought, right, that could be a cool scene, and then creates a whole thing around that. I just thought it was messy. It was, I didn't even watch it all. Turned it off at the point where they both meet each other, and he looks through the, the looking glass, and fucking one's going forward and one's going backwards. I just thought, nah, yeah. Like, there's always a character as well in a Christopher Nolan film that just pops in. He's a nobody, and the only reason he's there is to tell you what's happening in the film. And I kind of think if you're a, a storyteller or a filmmaker, you shouldn't need that character. You should be able to sit and watch a film and not need somebody to come in and say, you're going backwards, they're going forwards, and this is where we're meeting in the middle. I just thought it was dog shit, to be perfectly honest with you. So That that moment where you, you they meet each other in the entropy in the in that room and it spins round, yeah. that is, it's either where you lose the film completely 
or you're like, oh, this is this is bloody interesting. Let's keep going. Um, I think I was probably more the, the latter the first time round, but it, 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 yeah, it is messy. I would also say the movie opens up the more times you watch it. Um, that's something I have definitely found the first time. I was confused uh, a fair amount of you know the the last whatever forty five minutes or something, but. Um, Rewatching it, taking notes on it for the podcast, it made more and more sense. It's one of those movies I feel like I'm going to watch like 30 times over my life, and every time I'll be convinced I can unlock it just a little bit more. There is nothing more fun than taking notes while watching a film, I suppose. Yeah, that's why. I wa- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing more fun. It's a wild nothing ride. <laughs> That's actually how we're able to um, start throwing out quotes on the podcast as we write them down, because I'm actually not that great at memorizing quotes. So obviously your choice of topic is a spy movie. So I've normally I ask eight or nine questions, but we're going to go through a list of things and we're going to play a little game of true or false, basically. And we'll see if either of you, how much you know the spy world, right? So we'll start with question 1A basically, in this section. Spies cannot sneeze. True or false? I feel like, uh, well, I'm going to say false, because Johnny English, I'm sure, sneezes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there, by the way. All of these are false. Um, I don't want to spoil the game, but I just feel like some of these things are um, absolute nonsense, and that's what we're here to sort of do. Ian Fleming, Scott, his favourite pastime was Sega Mega Drive. Oh, that makes total sense. That's absolutely true. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Sonic was, uh, you know, made in his image. James Pond, surely. Did you ever play James Pond, either of you, on Sega Mega Drive? I do love a good Pond game. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I know of it. Uh, I remember seeing stills of the game, but I never played it. What was your first console, guys? This will maybe... Uh, give an idea of what age we are, but mine's was the NES. Back in the day, I got that for my sixth Christmas. I'm six years old when that came out. So were any of you playing Pong, for example, or was it more Sonic? Uh, no, no, I was, uh, original NES was mine. We got it for Christmas probably when I'm like seven years old or something like that, yeah. We, had the, uh, we actually got the deluxe one, so it had the gun and the power pad. Oh, we were living large. Did you have the big bazooka? No, that was uh, that was Super Nintendo. Oh, was um, the Super Nintendo had okay. yeah had the the Super Scope or whatever it was called. Um, no, we had the we had the exclusive gun that came with the deluxe set though. That it was you know how the normal Nintendo gun was gray. Mm. Um, the one we had was orange and gray. How many times did you pose as James Bond with that gun? You know, I've never thought about that. There's no way we didn't. Like, I guarantee we did that. I'm sure. I'm sure my sister and I both. Yeah. Mm. And then just shot a duck, basically. I think that was about the only thing you could shoot. Duck Hunt was the game, maybe. I think that was the only shooting game we actually had. I don't think we ever bought one of the other ones. That was packaged with it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. actually, our version came with three games. So it came with original Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and then uh, World Class Track Meet, which was for the Power Pad. Yeah, like there's obviously been lots of James Bonds, but did you know that Jean Claude Van Damme was originally cast in Goldeneye, but got offered more cash to do the Coors Light advert, so decided 
not to do it. Do you think Jean-Claude Van Damme would have been a good Bond? Better than Pierce? See, I would rather have seen uh, JCVD as uh, Alec Trevelyan as 006, really. I think he'd make a better bad guy than he would Bond. I don't think he'd suit the suits, you know what I mean? Then he fits the tux. Yeah, like, I think of him in, like, Expendables 2 as a villain. He was mm. so much fun. I'd far rather see him as a Bond villain. I think he could be a blast. Were you into action movies back in the day, then? The age we are, your Jean-Claude Van Damme's, your Arnie's, maybe a little bit of Sylvester Stallone flung in there as a young youngster. Oh, yeah. That was, I mean, that was my youth was my friends and I going down and renting action movies constantly. So we bulldozed through the Schwarzeneggers, the Stallones, the Van Dams, the Seagals. Uh, we didn't watch Chuck Norris movies, but we watched pretty much everyone else. And uh, I, I've seen almost all of them at this point in my life. Yeah. What did Chuck do to you? Why did you not watch his stuff? Did he offend you somehow? No, I, I think it was just like we, he, he wasn't relevant to us at that point. Like we didn't, Ooh. Yeah, like, I don't know. I guess I, I really don't. People weren't making, um, like, big screen Chuck Norris movies at that point. Like, he was doing kind of straight to video stuff where you get the odd weird one, like Top Dog, where he teams up with a dog. But, like, <laughs> he wasn't doing cool action movies we would want to see. Whereas, you know, Arnold's doing, like, Terminator 2, and Van Damme is ha- having his whole streak of, you know, Hard Target and Nowhere to Run and all those kinds of movies. But uh, I don't know what Chuck Norris was doing at that point. Nothing much. Yeah, Chuck Norris falls into the same category as Steven Seagal for me, actually. He was never a, a person. The first three, definitely, but Steven Seagal even was just never really up my street, to be honest with you. I think uh, Cam's a bit of a Steven Seagal fan, from what I can tell. He seems like a wonderful man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was a fan of the early Seagal movies, the ones that were in theaters. You know, Once they kind of went straight to video, you lose a lot of the... Uh, competence but under siege one and two were fun and actually he came and did an autograph signing in vancouver for reasons i'm not really sure of it was just at a casino nearby and it was all free so my friends and i went and i i met him i got him to sign my dvds of under siege one and two and at the time for many years Sagal had talked about how he wanted to do a uh, genghis khan film and star in it himself and um I went up to him and this movie had been in development for like 12 years, something like that. And I, I went up to him. I said, you know, do you think we'll ever get that Genghis Khan movie? Do you think it'll happen? And he said, it has to brother. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my entire exchange with Steven Seagal. <laughs> that, that clearly made your day though. The fact that you can remember it as well. Like that, that that's a, that's a treasured memory for you. It is clearly because, yeah, Scott, you and I met at a Star Trek convention. We've met many Star Trek stars. How many conversations with them do you remember verbatim? One. And what was that conversation then, Scott? This was this was in the mid noughties I was at the Las Vegas convention before I met Cam. And I did a photo op with the, the Cisco family from Deep Space Nine. So uh, Avery Brooks, uh, Sirik Lofton, and Penny Martin. What's her name? Penny Johnson. Penny Johnson. And I walked into the the photo op and it wasn't that many. It was quite an expensive photo op. I really wanted to get it because I love those characters. And uh, Avery Brooks just runs up to me and grabs me like handshake thing. Welcome to the family. Brings me in for a hug. Spins me round into the family. They all just kind of jump in. I'm just like, 
ah, yeah, I've been accepted. And they're just like, thanks, brother. Well, they didn't say brother. I'm taking that from Cam, but like, that's <laughs> just Cam's. But like, yeah, I was like, thanks, thank you, brother. I think it was like, thanks, man. I was like, thanks. And I just sort of scuttled away. And uh, yeah, that, that that's still my most treasured uh, photo op from any convention I've ever been to. Yeah. Do you know that spies say the alphabet in a different order than everybody else? Yes, yeah, it's, it's the tenet style, so you meet in the middle, right? And does yeah. it really matter what order? Well, it doesn't. What order do you say the alphabet in? It depends. If uh, if you've been pulled over, it might. Yeah, and even then, like in, is it in America where they ask you to do it backwards? Like that's fucking impossible yeah. when you're sober. I, I don't I don't understand how that's useful at all. I mean, I've never been asked to do it. It's not something they teach in British schools, at least anyway. <laughs> the North American schools, they teach it to you backwards, Cam? No, I learned it backwards just for fun, but no. Go on then. No, come on. <laughs> Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S. I can't keep going with this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good start. Like I- You were doing it. You were doing it. I could I could go through it, yeah, yeah. I just do it in my head sometimes. Generally, you know what? I've learned a lot of stupid <laughs> skills like that trying to fall asleep. I find tricks like that will actually make you fall asleep quicker. So that, maybe that's a spy tip to everyone out there. If you're having trouble sleeping, teach yourself to do the alphabet backwards. Did you ever teach yourself Morse code? Because I've got a theory that nobody actually understands it and just they just make things up when they get beep, beep, beep. Right. That means that. Is that a real thing? No. <laughs> I, I only know one bit of Morse code, and that is thanks to Metallica. Oh, which one is that? From the uh, the one video, do you not remember that? And Johnny got his gun. Okay, I watched that video once, and I found it so unsettling. I've never been able to watch it ever again. Really? It. I mean, watch watch the film. Johnny got his gun is a great film and a great book. I can't watch that movie. It horrifies me. Read the book. Okay. Uh, anyway, okay. So SOS is what I've learned, and that's actually quite a useful one to know. I suppose. Oh yeah. And I, I'll tap it on the table, so maybe that will carry through the mic. But like. Hmm. feels to me like if you were in an SOS situation nowadays getting a table out and a microphone out and doing the tappy thing mm. you'd be better just going help <laughs> please SOS yeah yeah, I mean, if, if if I was on, you know, Squadcast on a, on a podcast <laughs> and I needed help, I, I might just say, like, hey, guys, could you send someone to my house, please? Here's my address. But I don't know. Can you blink it out, Scott? Because I've seen that in movies where people are getting held hostage and their eyes blink out a message saying, I am not okay. I'm being held at gunpoint. What do you think I've been doing this whole episode? All oh, right, so you and Cam are having a conversation behind my back then? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, I've been trying to flirt with you. All right, okay, I'm sorry, I've not noticed. Um, very much do appreciate it, but Scott, thank you very much. Um, did you know that every spy movie since Owen Wilson was an eye spy has been directed by M. Night Shyamalan? It would make sense for Tenet. And even then, M. Night wouldn't make such a cunt of it. <laughs> and it would also explain Spectre. Doesn't know what to do with these characters. I mean, you know, Blofeld, what was that about? Do you think he kind of, in the shallow man, I mean, peaked really, really quite early with the twist in Sixth Sense and then just tried to chase that dragon and never managed to get there again? Well, he had signs. That was quite a good film. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Unbreakable. Yeah. Um, the thing with M. Night Shyamalan was that I think. 
he got too locked into this. I'm the next, the next Hitchcock. I'm the next Spielberg kind of mode. And uh, when you look at both Hitchcock and Spielberg, they're very diverse in the types of movies they're trying to do. Like they're they're not just trying to make the same movie over and over again. And that's one thing. Like Shyamalan became more fixated on these sort of supernatural suspense films, which. I've enjoyed some, but like there's a sameness, you know, Spielberg's jumping from Jaws, Indiana Jones, Close Encounters, you know, Color Purple. He's jumping all over the place in terms of what you can do in a film career. Hitchcock, there are a lot of the spy films, there's the, the paranoid thrillers. He does some comedies. Again, he's trying to do multiple things. Whereas like, I think the problem with Shyamalan always was just, he had an issue and then he got locked into this. I tell supernatural stories with a twist. And so the audience started being programmed to watch his movies where all they're doing is looking for the twists. And unless he came up with a great one, people got really angry. So uh, signs, a movie I really enjoyed too, uh, Scott, but people were pissed off because the, they felt the twist was really stupid. And it's like, okay, I mean, it works for me within the story, but um, people were annoyed by that and started ridiculing it. And next thing you know, he's doing the village and he's doing lady in the water. And these are movies that aren't very good but he has so much power at this point, there's no one saying no to him. And I think that's kind of where he got into trouble. He was better working with people that, kind of like a George Lucas, there's a lot of directors like this, where once they have full say, things get out of control. And I think that's with Shyamalan. But every now and again, right when I've written him off, you know, he makes The Last Airbender, which was maybe his, you know, him trying to do something different, and it was a disaster. Um he comes back, he does a movie like, say, you know, Split, for example, or The Visit was, The Visit was okay. Um, and you go, oh, okay, he's got it. We, you know, M. Night is back. And then he, you know, puts out Glass, which Glass was a movie, I appreciate a lot of what he's trying to do. He's not just giving the audience exactly what they would expect, but it's messy. It's very messy. So he's always kind of being pushed back on the back foot, which kind of makes him interesting. He's always struggling. So... If you have a career of a guy who's always trying to win an audience back, I think you're going to get some interesting movies along the way. At least he keeps swinging in a way. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> it keeps having water thrown on him. Yeah. So that's just us. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that uh, Casino Royale was originally called Bet365 Live Slots? I did, but um, I, I heard that David Niven, when he originally wanted to do it in 67, uh, managed to get the title changed back to Casino Royale. I know it was sponsored by Bet365, of course, but then everything is nowadays. Uh, I'm sponsored by Bet365. I kind of like a sponsorship to Bet365, although I do have issues with gambling a little bit. As in, I used to do it and I don't do it anymore because I lost lots of money. So it's kind of weird because if they offered me money, would I put Ray Winston at the beginning of this podcast telling you, vote i probably would to be perfectly honest with you is there any sponsors that you would not engage with cam like would you say no you cannot sponsor spy hearts um i mean if a tobacco company or something came to me i'd say no because neither scott or i are smokers and you know that's it wouldn't be something like i would never recommend something that i wouldn't do myself so i i don't think so uh scott uh, made a face there as if yeah, okay. Well, like Scott, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, we've only ever had one major sponsor on the podcast, and that lasted all of a month. And I, I, I know for a fact that you do not use those products. That's true. That's true. Um, but I could. Like, it's not something I would rule out, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes, you do have a penis, Cam. That is true. Um, 
That is true. I can I can confirm that. <laughs> I don't know how you can confirm this, but <laughs> hey, we, we slept in the same room together, buddy. You, you know, you, you sleep hard. You wear you know earplugs, so that's going to be the next podcast. Sleep hard, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spy hard, sleep hard. Um, I don't know, like. I don't know that I would be like handing out sponsorships for some of those like um, pay off your credit card debt companies, like things like that that seem a little predatory. But um, I don't know. I feel like every sponsorship is the sort of thing where you get the offer and you go, well, let's discuss this. <laughs> we decide if it's in line with what we want to do on the show. And Scott was alluding, we did a, a um, one for Manscaped, which is, you know, the grooming product. But it was one where I think we were kind of like, I don't know, do we do this? I guess. But we found a way to make it spy themed and fun. If we got something where it's like, please read extensive copy about, um, you know, paying off credit card debt. It's like, Oh God, this is just stopping the show dead. And we can't even make this fun. Do you know that Bond likes his drink shaken, not stirred because he's actually got misophonia and the clinking uh, really gives him a sore head. Uh, I, I mean, to be fair, shaking and stirring mean nothing to a martini, so uh, it's all nonsense, to be fair. And when did that first come in? Like, uh, Was that something Ian Fleming wrote in the books and thought, this is going to be his turn of phrase, or did it turn up in a film, and it just sort of took off from there? Shaken or stirred is the film thing, isn't it? I'm pretty sure that's the film. I'm trying to remember, Scott... This is I'm, you know, it's interesting you raised this uh, question because it's one where I feel like I'm ill-informed to answer of all the James Bond questions I could answer. But, um, well, Scott, do you remember if they said it at all in Never Say Never Again? In Never Say Never Again? Yeah, because they don't have the trademark. Because Never Say Never Again, for those listening that don't know, was an unofficial Bond film put out by, I think, 20th Century Fox, I think. Um, Sean Connery came back, and they didn't have the copyright stuff of a lot of the bond elements. Um, I don't know if they had that because it was um, what happened was the original Thunderball story uh, was going to be a screenplay. It was co-written by uh, Ian, uh, Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory. And then what happened was the movie didn't happen in the fifties when they wrote it. So Ian Fleming turned it into a novel, which became the, you know, the popular uh, Ian Fleming Thunderball novel. Then later on down the road, they adapted Thunderball into a movie and it turned into this whole quagmire because Kevin McClory was saying he had equal rights to all the elements in that story, which included things like Blofeld, which is why Blofeld fell out of use for many years in the Bond franchise. But I'm wondering if Shaken Not Stirred, um, if they were able to say that in the Never Seen Ever Again movie. I feel like it appeared earlier than Thunderball. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's in Doctor No off the top of my head, but it's definitely in From Russia With Love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it, I mean, to answer the original question, I feel like it was a film invention because I was recently watching a video on the original GoldenEye film, which is from the early 90s, which is not the James Bond GoldenEye film. It's the Ian Fleming GoldenEye film with Charles Dance. Um, and they talk about that in it. It's like an Ian Fleming biopic that was done in like 93 or something. Who's your favourite Bond? Mine's Sean Connery, but I'm Scottish, so if it was anybody else, that would be a travesty. Uh, if, if you're asking me who the best Bond is, I would answer Sean Connery. If you're asking me who my favourite Bond is, it's Piers Brosnan. Yeah, like for me as well, if you ask me best, Sean Connery. 
Uh, he just has all of the elements, whereas a lot of the other Bond actors specify in one aspect of the job. You know, you like look, Daniel Craig, everyone loves Daniel Craig. Um, he's incredible at the action. He has that sort of lethal look to him. He can pull off all the intensity of Bond, but he can't do the comedy. Connery could do it all. And so he's the best. But if you ask me my favorite, I grew up on Roger Moore. So that very much imprinted on me what a Bond movie is and was back in the day. So The Spy Who Loved Me, I think, is one of the great entertainments in cinema for me, just rewatching that movie over and over again. So Roger Moore, he's obviously not doing any of the lethal uh, cunning that you see in a uh, you know Daniel Craig film or a uh, Sean Connery, but Roger Moore is the most fun for me. This is going off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that in real life, only Daniel Craig could have actually joined MI5 or MI6, whatever one it is. I'm sorry if I'm murdering this because of the height restrictions. There used to be a height restriction. You couldn't be over five foot nine and every mm-hmm. Bond was. Ooh. Yeah, because that, that definitely rules out George Lazenby because he was like six foot three or something. Mm-hmm. Connery was quite Because tall. you stick out so much, yeah. Whereas obviously mm-hmm. being a spy, you want to just be average height, be an average person. What about, what about Dalton? I don't think Dalton was super tall, was he? He might have just been over five foot nine or five foot ten, whatever yeah. it was. Again, that should, that just popped into my head. It's it's nice to know that my uh, my height for the first time in my life might actually benefit me. Same, yeah. Although, does it benefit us, Scott? If they send us on some like <laughs> suicide mission, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't mind being sent on the uh, the mission at the beginning of Thunderball. I'll happily go to that retreat and just uh, get a massage. <laughs> and... Oh, I thought you meant going to the uh, to the funeral and then <laughs> beating up like the uh, the the widow. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. Let's go. It's like wow, Scott. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I have a certain set of skills. Do you think there's any benefits to being a spy over and above getting a VAT discount at IKEA? Because I've heard that they they get that seventeen and a half percent discount. I don't know how you prove you're a spy when you get in there, but... Well, th- this is the problem with spies, especially in media, is they're the worst spies ever. You shouldn't know that someone's a spy, but these people are like, hey, I'm James Bond, shaken not stirred. Like, they, they literally they get their ID out. I was just going to ask again about James Bond. Do we know the, the origin story of his name? Because there's a little bit of cloak and daggers about that, whether or not he was named after like a postman or he was actually named after somebody that was... In that world, do we know? Yeah, the the name itself um, comes. He he's an author. Uh, he wrote a book about birds in the West Indies, which Ian Fleming had a copy of and just liked the name, as far as I can tell, as far as I've I've read, basically. So he wasn't a postman, then I just made that up again. I've got, I've oh. got a habit of doing that. Just yeah, I get something in to my be head. Fair, he might have been a postman and and a writer and really liked birds. He could have done both. Avengers, or The Avengers, uh, with Ralph Fiennes. Was he unlucky to be overlooked by the Academy in that role? (laughs) For the in-memoriam segment for his (laughs) career dying afterwards? (laughs) Um, Yeah, poor Ray Fiennes, poor Uma Thurman. Um, The Avengers is... Yeah, no one's good in that movie. It's very ill-conceived. For those that haven't seen The Avengers, it's an adaptation of the 60s TV show. And the whole foundation of the show, I'm pretty sure, and the movie is supposed to be the crackling romantic chemistry between the two leads. 
and they built a 90-minute spy movie around two actors with no chemistry. And <laughs> that's where the problems start, and they just, you know, domino out from there. So Scott and I have done, weirdly enough, extensive Avengers research. We have Avengers <laughs> Palooza coming out on the podcast pretty soon. Scott, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So we're we're basically celebrating our one year anniversary in a few weeks time from this recording. It'll be about the second week of August, although we did debut slightly earlier, but it just works better for us to pretend that it's then. Um, But that also falls on the week that the Avengers came out in the cinema 23 years ago. So we've got a a big bumper episode reviewing the film, but we've also got an interview with the director and an interview with the writer of the film. So there's three episodes that week are talking about one of the worst films of all time. Again, off the top of my head, um, before we had this conversation, I did Google worst by films. This was pretty low down, but there was one below it and it had Benicio Del, Del Toro in it. And I can't remember the name. X and Silver, that one? No, that's Antonio Banderas. I'm trying to think of... Oh, maybe it's Antonio Banderas, and I've, I've really made a cunt of things there again. That was the only one that was below Avengers, but it got 0% or 1% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. I'm pretty sure that's Ballistic X versus Sever. Yeah, I saw that movie in theatres. Um, I haven't seen it since, so Scott and I will be revisiting it at some point. I haven't seen it, and I it's one of those ones along with Avengers that you just hear bandied around as like, oh, you're going to love this one. Mm. Uh, oh, and by love, uh, I have to watch it twice, so I, it's more of a self-hatred kind of thing. It was actually shot in my hometown, so I, it has that going forward, I guess. I remember going to see it in theatres and being like, hey, cool, the aquarium, things like that. <laughs> So it really wasn't that good of a film that you were noticing the backgrounds of things. Uh, yeah, the backgrounds. And I remember Ray Park was one of the villains. And mm. this is shortly after Phantom Menace. So I was like just excited to see him as a villain. Um, that's about all I really remember from it. I was quite lucky that I uh, mentioned the Avengers there because I'll always be honest with the listeners. That wasn't prearranged. This will be out a couple of days before Spy Hearts have those three episodes basically so it's pretty exciting like are, are you going to ask the real questions of the writer like why what the fuck how did you make such a mess of this or will you be a little bit easier on them <laughs> let's just say um we had extensive discussion over emails before we did it right and he starts the interview by saying oh no i'll say it again we start the interview by me saying oh and the director of the film the Avengers, and he replies, oh, the ill-fated Avengers. Okay. So he knows the game. He knows exactly where it is. And yeah, he's he. Jeremiah Chechik is the director of the film. He's spoken extensively about just how bad it was and how badly he was treated. And the story behind it is actually really fascinating. I'd urge listeners to check out the episodes on it because it, it might make you reframe the film a little bit. I'm not saying it's a good film, but uh, it's, it's maybe a lesson in Hollywood. Yeah, and like Jeremiah Chechik is very much giving the guided tour as to how on a studio level things got really messed up. And we had a writer with the, you know, or we had an interview with the writer Don McPherson who came on and he tackled it in a very different way. He wanted to talk about the evolution of the story, what the original script was and what the original script for this for the Avengers was is completely different than what wound up on the screen. Like the original script was much more modestly budgeted and much more of a 
um, tribute to the show. Like there was a ton of character development of aspects of the show, you know, characters from the show. Um, it really was its own unique thing. And the studio very much just kind of picked it apart. Also, it's very interesting. I will put links to your Twitter, Apple, and Spotify in the show notes. But just before we go, do you want to let people know where they can find you online? Sure. I mean, for spies, we're exceedingly easy to find <laughs> because basically we're at spyhards, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok sometimes when I can be bothered. Uh, yeah, it's super easy to find. Just a shout out to our hosts again, Captivate. Recorded in the squad cast arranged on Matchmaker. We will speak to you soon. Cheers. That was a Quite the Thing media production.